Now this is uh, part of the narrative of Luke as he tells the story of the early Christian church. Remember, some remarkable things have already happened that he describes how Jesus ascended into heaven, how in Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit fell, how in Acts chapter 3 we find a man healed, which results in Peter and John, who God used for that healing, finding themselves before the Jewish authorities. They were not popular uh, in that place at that time. Um, However, the people responded so well to the message of Jesus. Many were turning to Christ. The church was growing. Many healings are taking place, but persecution continues in Acts chapter 5. They choose the seven in Acts chapter 6. Stephen makes a speech to the Sanhedrin and then becomes the first Christian martyr in Acts 7. The church is scattered when the persecution breaks out some more in Acts chapter 8. We have the story of Philip in Samaria, then Philip with the Ethiopian. Saul of Tarsus gets converted in Acts chapter 9. A huge revelation hits the church through Peter in Acts chapter 10 when Peter finds himself being told by God that anybody, even Gentiles, can become Christian people if they put their trust and faith in Jesus. He has to explain that to the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. And then we hit the place where in Acts chapter 12... Peter has been chucked in jail. Let me read you the story. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the feast of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him out for trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, 
now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. I feel a bit sorry for the guards, don't you? They didn't have a lot of say in this. It wasn't like they let him escape. Nothing like that at all. So, quite a remarkable story. Now, let me say thank you for your welcome. I really appreciate it. Uh, the deal was done, as Mark will testify, in the uh, studio at Premier Christian Radio, where I present a show on Sunday nights to which your pastor uh, makes appearances sometimes as uh, my guest. It's uh, Premier's weekly live phoning counselling show, and uh, Rod is, is a really helpful contributor and helps many people across the nation uh, when he joins me uh, some Sundays. So it was one Sunday when I said, do you know, after next week, I think this is how it went, after next week, I'm not preaching anymore because my retirement as uh, a Baptist pastor, I've been a Baptist pastor for uh, 40 years and therefore been preaching uh, pretty well most Sundays for 40 years, I said, after my final Sunday, I've got nothing else in my diary. This is going to be really odd. And uh, it was at that point that Rod said, uh, you don't happen to be free on the 20th of November, do you? So I said, sure, I'm free every Sunday. Uh, and he booked me there and then, and we just confirmed it, Mark, didn't we, subsequently, and uh, tied it all up. Um, it is a pleasure and privilege to be with you. This is the fifth different church on five successive Sundays that I've been uh, in because I can't go back to the church anymore where I was pastor for 31 years even though we live nearby because my successor is already in post and I need to be out of his hair. So I've been to uh, five different churches over five different Sundays and it's fascinating. And can I just say that the, uh, the worship here uh, this morning was as stimulating as any that I've been part of over those five weeks and uh, have really appreciated the way that we've been able to lift God high in our worship today. So let's come and pray, shall we, that God will speak to us through this part of his word. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray that your word, which in this instance uh, 
Dr. Luke so carefully recorded. May this come alive for us. Not just what's on the surface, but what's underneath as well. And may it be that today our faith will be encouraged to grow and develop some more. And may it be that Jesus will be glorified through not just what happens here now, but what happens in our lives in the days and weeks that lie ahead. We ask you to hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nice one, thank you. So, I started off by titling this Liberated by God, because, you know, Peter was in prison, and he was, wasn't he, liberated by God. So, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12, and it's verses 1 to 19. Then as I worked at this, looked at it some more, thought about it some more, prayed into it some more, reflected some more, I decided that it was a great title, and actually there's a similarity in this story between what happens with Peter and the film Escape from Alcatraz, not to mention Prison Break, if you've seen either or both of those, people inside getting out, but I was still uneasy about the title, so I ditched it. As I think you'll see the reason coming up in a moment. And I actually decided to describe this as fiercely determined. You'll see why, I think, as we move on. This might sound a strange place to go, but I'm picking up with uh, Job chapter 1. Because in Job chapter 1, we get this rare insight into what goes on in what we can, I think, describe as the heavenlies. Because there we see Satan roaming the earth. His goal is to destabilize godly people, and that includes Job. And God agrees when Satan goes to him and says, look, I really want to put Job under some pressure to see what happens, whether he cracks or not, when actually I put some pressure on him because he's got a lot of stuff. If he didn't have so much stuff, would he still trust you, God? And God says, well, try. There's boundaries, but you can try by testing him. So Job has this dreadful series of catastrophes which you can read about in this book in the Old Testament. And at the end, when tested thoroughly, Job's faith remains solid, which is really good and encouraging for people like us, I think, that here is somebody who, when the real pressure comes on, he still believes in God and his love and his care. But it shows us what's going on out of our sight. We don't hear these kind of discussions between God and Satan. But this stuff is going on, and that gives us an insight into it. When we move into the New Testament, there's this, what I'm going to call, a battle royal. How the people of Israel 
God chose them so that they could show the rest of the world, the rest of the nations of the world, how great their God was. And at times in their history, think of David and Goliath and other things like that, you, you see how God is able to work so wonderfully, so powerfully through his people. But in the end, the Jews didn't deliver. They kept failing, they kept sinning, they kept being well, just resilient to to God's will being done in and through their lives. So God initiates a new plan of salvation. He sends his son into the world. And when Jesus grows up, Jesus then, after his baptism, is in the wilderness. Satan comes to him and he's trying to do to Jesus what earlier he tried to do to Job trying to destabilize him, trying to get his faith and trust in God and his determination to live for God to go by the wayside. But Jesus refused all of Satan's temptations. So Jesus goes into ministry. The Spirit is upon him and in him. Many people's lives, as Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell us, are impacted by Jesus' ministry. And Jesus is all the time revealing what the kingdom of God is like to those who are around him. But opposition to Jesus starts to grow. More and more opposition from the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, ironically, is growing and developing as time goes on, and you will know the storyline, how Jesus is condemned to death, and then he's defeated, it seems. He's strung on a cross, and at one moment in time, he he breathes his last. It looks like Satan has conquered. It looks like The powers of evil have got rid of the one who will bring salvation to the human race. It looks like it's a disaster. But what Satan didn't realize is that God had plenty of power up his sleeve. And Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus lives and continues to live having come back from the dead. He sends his Holy Spirit to his followers. The work of Jesus continues, but opposition erupts straight away after all this starts to happen. And two of the leaders, as we saw in those chapters of of Acts that I referred to just now, two of the leaders of the Christian church are killed. Stephen becomes the first martyr, and then we read in the beginning of Acts chapter 12, how James also was put to death. So the church has been deprived of two of its key leaders. This is not good. This is not a good place to be. And what happens next isn't good either. Because Peter is now arrested. He's done nothing against society. He's committed no crime. He's just living as a full-out Christian leader. He's seeking to do God's will and work. And he's imprisoned and he's put inside a jail. He's carefully guarded. 
And what you can see is happening is that Satan is working full out to try and rid the world of this Christian faith which is touching the lives of people with God's love, grace and mercy. And Satan doesn't like it. The battle royal is going on. Which is where we now come to see where this fierce determination lies. And I want to take you first to talk about Herod. Arguing that Herod is acting here as the agent of Satan. I don't know that he knew that, but he just wanted to rid the world of uh, anything that was going to cause trouble and difficulty. He just wanted his reputation as a good leader to be uh, intact. And all this disruption coming from this new Christian sect, it wasn't helpful, he thought. So he's trying to get rid of something that would just stir up trouble, as he saw it, in his community. So Herod is fiercely determined to get rid of Christianity. That's why Peter is in jail. Who is Herod? He's Herod Agrippa I, and he's the grandson of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great? Babies born in Bethlehem, little boys killed because he wanted to get rid of the one who he had the feeling was going to be a challenge to his authority. So this is his grandson, and with all due respect to him, he's no nicer than his granddad. He is just determined here to get rid of Christian leaders. And he's got the strategy. Because the theory is, you get rid of the leaders and you get rid of the thing itself. If there's nobody to lead it, nobody with any inspiration or passion or drive, then the thing will fall apart and disappear. And Herod thought he'd struck a major blow when Peter is incarcerated in prison. And a few days later, they were going to have a trial which was going to be about as fair as the trial that Jesus went through, right? I think we all know that. You know, Peter was doomed. The minute they arrested him, Peter was doomed to die. There was no other way. That's why all those soldiers were guarding him so carefully. And Herod thought that he was killing off Christianity. That was his plan, that was his purpose, and he was, to go back to the title, fiercely determined to get rid of this Christianity and to get rid of Peter would help no end. So if we put it in graphic terms, there's Herod just sort of sitting there. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But there's also fierce determination in the Christian church. Because the Christian church had been pushed too far. The Christian church has seen persecution straight after the day of Pentecost. And the Christian church in Jerusalem was not happy they were being victimized when actually all they were doing was preaching goodness and love and mercy and grace. They were bringing healing as God's power flooded them and flooded through them and touch the community outside. 
they saw they were only doing good. And they were. And when Stephen died, it was a major blow. When James then was killed, and James was one of the main leaders of the church, this was serious. And the Christian church said, that's enough. We're not having this anymore. We're not going to let the the authorities push us around anymore. But the trouble was, they were limited in what they could do. They couldn't storm the jail. Remember how secure Peter was. The way he got out describes all the security places where there were guards and gates and doors and all the rest of it. The Christians couldn't get in to rescue Peter. So what were they going to do? The deep injustice of it all was getting at them. So they did the only thing they could. They met to pray. They met to trust God. They met so that they could bring to their Father in heaven the need that they had down here on earth. They were determined, fiercely determined, to see this battle won even though they themselves felt pretty powerless. So they trusted in God to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves because it was the only way they could think of. How else could anything significant happen? And as you know from reading the story just now, it's an amazing story. Peter gets out of jail. Peter is freed. Peter is released. So to put it in graphic terms, what you've got now is you've got Herod who's fiercely determined to get rid of Christianity. You've got the church that's fiercely determined to see God be glorified and Peter released and the work of building God's kingdom on earth continue and expand and grow some more. So you've got a battle between Herod, the authorities, and the church on the other side. So that's the second group that's fiercely determined. Who else is fiercely determined? God is. In this situation, God looks down from heaven and he says, I've got to intervene here. I'm going to actually get my hands dirty by getting involved in this one because I can see which way this is going. Now, what we've got to do, before we get back to the story, is understand God's global strategic plan. And I think we won't understand why God had to break Peter out of jail if we don't see the bigger picture first. Because this wasn't just one man in jail that needed to be freed. It was much bigger than that there was a much bigger principle at stake here. So what is God's global strategy? Here's the world. Looks beautiful. Trouble was, it needed a lot of help. When God created it, fabulous. Beautiful, perfect, complete. But of course, when God created the world, he put people into it 
And even though they started off as perfect, you will know that when, because of the ex their exercise of their free will, they quickly got into trouble. People sinned. It brought contamination. It brought death. It brought sickness. It brought disease. It brought rebellion. It brought all sorts of anguish to the people in the world. The sin devastated the relationship with God in heaven, which up until then had been perfection itself. That separation was painful. How did God react? Well, he didn't wash his hands of human beings, did he? God said, I need to mount a rescue package, so he chose Abraham. And he said, through you and through your descendants, I will raise up a nation that will demonstrate what godly living is and how much of a blessing it is to actually walk with your Father God in heaven. Trouble was, the Jews didn't consistently stick with the way God wanted them to live. So God said, I am so determined to reach the people of this world, so absolutely determined to get them back into relationship with me, I will do the almost unspeakable thing. I will even send my son. I will come in human flesh. I will live among them in the person of my son. And I'll give them the opportunity to trust and follow me. So he sent his son. And as a consequence, though of course at the cross it looked like it was a disaster, as a consequence of the passion of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, salvation now becomes a possibility for human beings if only they will trust God and just demonstrate by committing their lives to him that they want his will in their lives from here on. And since then... All sorts of wonderful things have been part of the package that God has made available to human beings like you and me. We can know forgiveness. We can have a fresh start. We can have Jesus as our friend. We can have the guidance of God in our everyday lives. We can know his support as he walks with us through everyday life and through the difficulties that that sometimes brings. We can have the prospect of heaven as our destination when we leave this world behind. And as part of all of this, it has been the desire of Father, Son and Holy Spirit that the good news of all these wonderful things that God has given us will be spread across the earth continually. Can I just break into this to say, if you have not received all that God has got for you, then maybe today is a day when you want to just come to God and ask that the blessings and benefits of all that Jesus has accomplished will be made available to you as you confess your sin, you repent, and you turn yourself and your life over to Jesus Christ. God is waiting for you if you haven't done this already. So God wants the good news spread across the earth. He wants the good news of Jesus to reach every corner, every person in every place at every point in history. God is fiercely determined 
that the good news of Jesus gets out there. This is a picture, I don't know how well you can see it, Peter on the left with his white beard and the angel on the right who's come to rescue him from jail. You know, Peter was sitting in jail knowing that actually next day he might well be told he was going to be executed and then be executed. You know? 24 hours from now, Peter knew he might well be in heaven, not here on earth. This was a big moment. When suddenly there's all this light and this angel appears to him in the cell and says, hey Peter, you're coming with me. I'm taking you out of this place. You're going to be freed, you're going to be liberated and I'm getting you out of here. I don't know whether you're going to like this cartoon or not. Left-hand side, Peter, get up quickly. I've come to rescue you from prison. Fasten your belt, put on your sandals, put in your cloak. Your hair could do with a comb. And Peter says, can we get going? But it was a bit like that. It must have been surreal. Odd. You know, it had been so normal. Stuck in this wretched prison. No way out. And Peter had no idea what might happen next, but I'm sure whatever the level of his faith, he knew that the realism was that he was probably going to be dead within 24 hours. Stephen had gone. James had gone. He was next. That's how it looked. But God was determined, and the people of God were praying. They were on their knees. They were crying out to God to intervene from heaven. They were pleading with God that God would do something that they couldn't do. And then it was, as you heard in the story, that Peter's banging at the door. He's on his own in Jerusalem. He's been let out of this prison. And did you notice that they have modern technology or the angel created it for that one-off? When you go to a store and you walk up to the door and it opens automatically for you, take it for granted these days, that's how it is. It happened in the prison when Peter was getting out as well. It said the door opened by itself. You know? Don't know where the mechanism was, but I suspect the angel just made it happen. And Peter goes to the house where the Christians are praying. Rhoda hears his voice, goes back into the crowd where they're praying and says, hey, Peter's at the door and they said, you're off your trolley here, girl. You know? And she says, it, it, it is him. It is him. I heard him. I heard him. And it was him. And the people of God go, oh, wow. God answered our prayer. He heard from his heaven and he answered our prayer. And actually, you've got to say that when things like this happen, it's sort of God's trademark, isn't it? That people, their jaws drop and they go, oh, how amazing is our God? How incredible is God that he would hear us that he would respond out of love and compassion. 
and he would do the very thing that we've asked him to do. And they were amazed. And it was wonderful that God had got Peter out of prison. So going back to the graphics, we've got Herod on the left, we've got the church, there's this tussle going on. Herod is determined to get rid of Christianity, the church is determined to see the kingdom of God grow on earth, and it looks like they're sort of evenly matched, doesn't it? You know, Peter's in jail, then Peter's out of jail, is he going to be caught again and put back in jail? Actually, that never happened. Okay, but it looks like they're sort of evenly matched, but we haven't taken into account here the impact of God. Now, is that what it looks like? Church, they call on God, God does something. No, no. If you read the Bible, you can't put God in some little corner somewhere and say, God's sort of there as a sort of backup when the church can't handle it. And nor can you say, actually, the size of God is about the same size as the church. You've got to start seeing that God is bigger and greater. And however I were to portray this in graphic form, you can't make the box that holds God big enough. Because God cannot be defined by any size box. God is so amazing. God is so powerful that when you've got God on your side, wow, anything might happen. And sometimes it does in a way that just makes you go, wow. And I believe in a God like this. So you've got Satan over there, but actually compared to the size of God, let's get it clear, Satan is puny. Pathetic. He might think he's got a lot of influence, and he does have some. And he causes chaos. We prayed just now for the chaos that there is in Syria, as well as in other parts of the world. Satan is really being influential in some of these places because he's trying to stir it up and get people fighting people, and it's all a mess. This is not the way God wants it. God, from the very beginning, brought order out of chaos. And wherever there's chaos, there's a sign of Satan somewhere involved in there. This is not God's way. Peace and love and security are what God wants to cultivate. So in the New Testament, we've got this battle royal. We saw it at the resurrection of Jesus. Satan thought he'd done his best by getting rid of Jesus, but God trumped him and showed him that actually his power is always greater. And here again, Satan thinks he's getting rid of Christianity on the face of planet Earth when he puts Peter in prison with the prospect of Peter being dead very soon. But God comes back with power and authority, and God says, let us put a mark in the sand here. Satan, whatever you do, I'm bigger, I'm greater, I'm more powerful, I will always be able to demonstrate all the things that are just characteristic of who I am 
and what I am like. And just to finish with where the end of the New Testament is, Revelation of John chapter 20, the devil was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Let's get it clear. Whatever influence Satan thinks he has, it's only for a limited time. It's only limited in its influence. It's only for a limited time. God is greater and always will be. And God is eternal. And God's love and power will continue way beyond time as we understand it in this world. So is this just another dramatic story from the Bible? The Bible is full of amazing, wonderful, incredible stories. Is this just another one? I would say it's more than just another one. It reminds us of the raging battle that's been going on in all of human history between good and bad, God and Satan. It reminds us that the battle goes on in 2016 even though sometimes you can't just automatically quite see where it's taking place. But it is still going on. It shows us, this story, that God's enemies are relentless. They will keep on coming back to try and get rid of the good things that God is trying to do on planet Earth. But it shows us the power that God attaches to prayer. I would not want to say prayer is powerful, because prayer isn't powerful. Prayer is just a means of communication. It's the God who hears our calls, our cries. It's God who knows what's in our hearts and responds to that in his love and power. That's what makes prayer so influential. Prayer is a mighty tool for Christians to use to call on God so that God can do what he wants and needs to do. And this story shows us that God is bigger than Satan by a long way. And actually this story also anticipates God's final victory over all evil powers. If you believe in God, you're on the winning side, right? Let's get that clear. You're on the side of victory if our trust and faith is in God. Top right picture of City Temple. Because we now need to relate this to your life and mine. So what's this message got to do with you? Because unlike Peter, you're not stuck in jail. And you're not likely, hopefully soon, to be stuck in jail simply for being a Christian. So what's this story got to do with you what does God want to do in your life and heart as a consequence of us going through this today? So what? When you sense a spiritual attack, just remember it's nothing new or unusual. Okay? There will be spiritual attacks. Now, let, let's not go through life presuming that everything that goes wrong is Satan interfering and, and trying to undermine us. Because, you know, there are some things that just go wrong, you know. Um, you miss the train. You know, this happens or that happens. You know, stuff goes wrong 
and, and I wouldn't want us to attribute everything that doesn't go swimmingly well to the work of Satan. All right? But let's be real about this. We are involved in a spiritual battle. There will be things that happen in our lives that are there trying to undermine our faith, our belief, our confidence in God, trying to shake us, trying to get us to say, well, maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought, or maybe God doesn't love as much as I thought he did, or God's left me out in the cold over here, and I'm having a real big problem, and God doesn't seem to be coming to my rescue. You know? Anything that undermines our confidence and trust in God is potentially something that Satan can and will use if he's given half a chance. There will be times when you're tempted. It may only be something small. You can't find your borrow, so you nick one from work. You know, maybe you can get on the train or bus or something without buying a ticket you found a way you get on a remote station where there's no machine or no people you know and you think you can get away with this stuff and and cultivating things which are underhand is going to have an impact on your integrity as a person as a child of God you know satan will do anything he can to try and get you to be less of the christian that god has called you and needs you to be spiritual attacks have been happening ever since there was christianity in this world they will affect you they will affect me when this stuff happens pray and trust God, remembering that God is all-powerful. The victory is already ours. If only we will grab hold of it. Remember that however big Satan may appear to be in a temptation when he comes, actually he's quite puny, small, weak and insignificant compared to the God in whom our trust has been placed and who wants to walk with us through everything, bringing us the victory that belongs to the children of God by right. So I finish by saying to you, look, you know, you're in the thick of it, so am I. If your trust and faith is in Jesus, we cannot escape this. But see Peter's release from prison, not just as a guy who got out of prison, but actually representative of the victory that belongs to those who are in Christ. If only we will trust, obey, and walk in God's way. My Father, my God, I thank you, Lord, for what we have received today. We receive it with grace. 